0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of The Best Little Horror House in Philly. Uh, we're supporting the All That Horror charity drive, which is raising money to support those dealing with burns, fighting breast cancer, or childhood illnesses. And you can find out more about Scares That Care at scaresthatcare.org. And to that end, for All That Horror, we've invited our Canadian friends at Film Rage, who are also participating, to rejoin us on the show today. Although, we're also luckily joined by Murray this this time. Say hi, Murray. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. We're thrilled that you can make it this time. And uh, we already talked about their collective pick of Let the Right One In, but we decided this time that we're going to talk about one of my favorite Canadian horror movies, Cube. So uh, say hi, everyone. I mean, Murray already said hi. But <laughs> hey. Hey, hey. How's it going, eh? Eh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got to get those A's in there. That's That's how people know you're Canadian. You got to prove it. <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> We always like to boot the E.
0: (laughs) We don't have to go too much into how you guys got into horror, since we already chatted about that on the Let the Right One In episode. But I will ask you about your favorite Canadian horrors. I know, Jim, I think you're a big Cronenberg guy, right?
1: I am super Cronenberg, if that's a possibility. And uh, for those of you who listen to our podcast, you will know that David Cronenberg is undoubted. So yeah, I um I I I think I convinced you uh, last time we chatted to see one of my favorite Cronenberg films which is The Brood which oh yeah has in my opinion the origination of super creepy little fuckers because those those little guys is just I still have nightmares about those kids. Cronenberg just can bring so much creep without even really trying that hard
0: yeah he really gets under your skin for sure
1: oh totally and actually lucky for us we also have been blessed to get to see his son's films uh the two that he's done we were lucky enough to get to screen it at uh SIF this year which was earlier in yes, the, this in the is year possessor yeah
0: yes i uh, have also seen possessor and i agree it is very good <laughs>
1: What? When did you see it, buddy? How'd you get to see it?
0: Hey, man. I got all kinds of ins on the, on the, on the circuit here. Nice.
1: Do you know him? Because <laughs> Bryce has an offer right now. So if Brandon Cronenberg's listening... There's a $1000 on the table that Bryce wants to give him to I produce. Sa- I said
2: actually I had to give him $2000. 2000.
1: Oh right. So right. I made the 1000 oh, cuz I'm God. I'm willing to give a 1000 to here to to just have Brandon Cronenberg make more films more or, often.
2: Exactly. A film every 8 years isn't going to cut it. We need more Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, that's
3: 2000 Canadian dollars so that'd be about 10 bucks American. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He might want it in US dollars. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to mortgage my house.
0: <laughs> Surely he can meet somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Bryce, what's your Canadian favy <laughs> other than Cronenberg?
0: Ah, uh, yeah. No, you
2: got to love the Cronenberg. I mean, every, you know, Videodrome scanners, Dead Ringers, the list goes on and on. Oh, dead um Dead Ringers. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna throw out two. One, one, older. One, one newer. What I consider one of the, well, maybe the original slasher film, Black Christmas.
1: Oh, Happy Christmas! Margot Kidder
2: just is? going absolutely as as uh with, with her drunk stint in it. Oh man, she is so good in it. <laughs> One might say she's mesmerizing in that particular film, but yes, but uh, yeah, honestly, that uh, that movie I, I watched it again recently. Yeah, uh, when we when we went to watch the remake of Black Christmas, the remake of the remake, the remake yeah. of the remake of the remake, possibly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, watched it again and, and it holds up. It's so good. Um, and then uh, you know what? Yeah, A little comedy horror. I'll throw at you if anybody hasn't seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil.
1: Oh snap!
2: So good. So okay. much fun. Yeah, that is fun. Murr,
1: what about you? What's your Canadian horror? Uh,
3: well, actually, surprisingly, there isn't that many that I like That uh, in my genre, which is vampires. But uh, the ones that come to mind, one of my favorites of all time is Ginger Snaps. Oh, yeah. Nice little werewolf film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. And one that was at the festival some years back with one of the Ashmore brothers, I believe the less famous one,
1: <laughs> was
3: The Shrine.
1: Oh, which yeah. Which was
3: actually really good. And then last
0: year we had. I don't think I know that one.
3: Yeah, put and, it on your list. And then we had last year we had I'll Blood Quantum, which is actually was in theaters and now is on demand. Oh yeah,
1: you seen Blood Quantum, George?
0: Uh, it's it's very high on my list. I've been hearing some really great stuff. You know, it's it's always great to get a horror movie from a different perspective. I believe that's from uh, one of the indigenous cultures up there, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah,
1: it is. So the the key is that are you any are you by any chance any part indigenous? I am not. You will be a zombie just like me it's and Bryce. Like everybody else, but Murray will be perfectly I fine. I'm immune.
0: He's immune. All right, you lucked out, but uh, yeah, one sixteenth.
1: But I can promise you this: Murray will be one of the first people I eat when I turn zombie. I'm just saying, because <laughs> he's delicious.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah! You know what? You might, if you gotta go. Here, all right, here's a question: If you're gonna get eaten during a zombie apocalypse, would you rather get eaten by a friend or a stranger? <laughs> I want to hear everyone's answer. I think it'd be a stranger
1: because
3: uh, it would hurt too much to be killed by a friend.
2: Oh, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a friend till the end. If you need me for sustenance, go ahead.
1: I'm going Toy Story on this, too. You got a friend in me. Yeah. I'd, eat, I'd eat Murray. And then soon after, I hope I turn in a podcast event. <laughs> Murray's actually technically closer to me. I would get through him. Hopefully, Murray falls on Bryce. Crushing him, and then we uh, eat Bryce next. It's perfect. I just yeah. written our future. I
3: respect that. Well, and uh, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be tastier because Bryce is a vegan.
1: Yeah, it'd be pretty lean meat there.
3: <laughs> yeah, well,
0: hey, you know, you get that grass fed beef.
1: I'm not frying it though. So, I mean, when you're eating it raw, sashimi <laughs> is actually really tasty when it's really lean. Mhm. What about you? Would you rather would, would you would you rather be eaten by a friend or some surprise guest?
0: I think I would rather get eaten by a stranger because um uh, I would hate to have seen any of my friends die and I hope I'm the first one and then I'll eat my friends. Oh, <laughs> oh
1: yeah. I like where you're going with that. Although wouldn't it be great you're both dead like uh what was that? Not in not warm bodies. What was the one? Oh, Anne and in the apocalypse with the couple. Oh yeah. They die together and live as zombies forever in the school dancing. So sweet. (laughs) Well, I guess we should stop talking zombies. This isn't a zombie episode.
0: No, it's not. But hey, there's nothing wrong with a little zombie talk. And uh, I will say that, so since, like I mentioned, this uh, was a pick of mine. I happen to love Cube. I'll talk a little bit about my own personal tastes in terms of horror. As I've mentioned on the show before, I was on a school trip to Washington, D.C. when one of the kids put on in the hotel room, which they pack you in like six to a room, you know, he put on the It miniseries. And it was the classic, like I was too scared to <laughs> to watch, but also too scared to admit that I was scared and face the wrath of, <laughs> of all the kids at school. So uh, I was scared off. It didn't help that the first kill is a little kid named Georgie, you know? and that really was kind of what sealed the deal but it like horror had always kind of been there for me because my dad is a huge fan of stephen king in the basement there's like a bookshelf that is just entirely stephen king books and then some james patterson and stuff too but there i was always so interested in it and there was that classic like oh i got scared off which puts it as like this it looms in my like subconscious you know and i was always really interested in the stories because i was a a creative kid i liked telling stories and watching movies of other genres and stuff yeah it was always just like i would have to like read the wikipedia articles on the movies (laughs) instead of actually watching them because i would get i would get so scared even just reading about it that i'd be like there's no way i could see it like uh, there's, it's just not possible. But as is typically the case, your imagination is much worse than what's actually on the screen. And uh, as I started getting more into film criticism, I decided that it was impossible to be a, a well-rounded film critic and just completely ignore one of the genres. And so I decided that I was going to get into horror uh, or I was going to die trying. <laughs>
1: Your conversion almost sounds like a zombie story.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And then once I got the bite... <laughs> you were in, eating up yep, horror. Exactly. And uh, It started with uh, the Friday the 13th franchise, which is still one of my favorites, to be honest. Uh, I think that there's probably a lot of other emotions wrapped up in it because it was kind of the first one that really made me interested in horror, but...
2: Never forget your first
1: yeah
0: yeah exactly and friday the 13th part two i still think holds up incredibly well and it is my favorite of the franchise there had been a few other movies that i had seen here and there that kind of verged into horror like i had seen cabin in the woods before that stuff that was had like that comedy element to kind of lean on but yeah once once i hit friday the 13th i never went back and uh for that i love you jason and pamela you got a little shout too (laughs) yes
1: just talking about Friday the 13th in general I'm a huge fan of Crispin Glover we talked about him the other day the fact that he was in one of the Friday the 13th just makes me smile a little bit more
0: hell yeah and to that end my favorite subgenre probably is slashers although uh, i do love body horror as well that body horror is still the subgenre that gets to me the most like a slasher movie i watch because i like to like turn my brain off usually it's usually uh less interested in telling some grand morality tale than some of the more psychological stuff but yeah body horror something like the thing color out of space the blob the fly all these things that are just about like your body melting i'm already fucking terrified of human bodies man they're so fragile all it takes is one thing to go wrong and you're fucking dead
1: and you've got and so- you've got covid there you go
0: yeah, exactly. So even even more now and uh yeah, I yeah mom and dad, avert your ears, but when I like smoke weed, the only time I have a bad time is when I start thinking about how fragile the human body is and how easy it would be for someone's heart to stop. Man, it just puts me in a weird space. <laughs> so
1: You gotta watch Disney when you're doing weed, George. That's like the first rule. It's like yeah. <laughs> And it's, and it's legal um, up here, uh, so that, you can see it anywhere. Watching the Cube, or sorry, Cube, not the Cube, in Canada.
0: <sighs> I, I have my medical card, so it is legal for me as well. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> but yes, as you say, we're talking about Cube today, a movie that I love. It is a 1997 film supported by the first feature program in Canada, and written and directed by, obviously, then newcomer uh, Vincenzo Natale, who has gone on to write and direct movies like Splice and the King adaptation of In the Tall Grass. Splice is fun. Splice is another fun movie.
1: Yeah, and he's got a great Canadian name. I don't think... <laughs> it's yeah, like perfect. It's, yeah. like, it's like, if you're Canada- Canadian, you got a different last name, everybody on your street.
0: Yeah, he's, he's, I like him a lot. I think that he does these interesting sci-fi movies. He had the idea for this movie in 1990, and he wanted a movie, quote, set entirely in hell, but he didn't finish the script until 1994, and that initial draft had more, like, comedy and surrealism. Uh, plus, there was a lot of other elements that kind of had gotten thrown in, like a cannibal, edible moss that grew on the walls, and a mo- uh, a monster that roamed the cube like a damn minotaur. Sweet. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think of, like, how different this movie almost was. <laughs> Because that, all that stuff, like having something for them to eat, having something else in there with them that's pursuing Mm -hmm. them, both of those changes this in such a dramatic fashion.
1: Oh, yeah. It It would have completely made it a different film, and that's I think that's probably the beauty of this film. And he would have needed a way bigger budget. Yeah, the budget was what?
0: (laughs) You probably have the budget numbers. What was the budget, George? The budget was, I do have it here, it's $350,000. Not very much at all.
1: What? Looked pretty yep. good. Yeah, CGI monster back then would have been awful.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I hadn't even considered that. It probably would have been CGI and uh oh boy, <laughs> 1999 CGI monster yeah. or a
1: 1997 Godzilla costume. Same thing.
0: <laughs> oh boy. I don't want to talk about that Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. I hate that movie. It's uh I love Godzilla and uh boy, what a what a misstep.
2: No kidding. <laughs>
1: Now you're now next time you you smoke weed you're gonna imagine being in the cube sorry cube with Godzilla after you instead of body horror
0: <laughs> hey that would be a hell of a big cube if uh if Godzilla made it in that'd be a
1: great trip
0: but Natalie's roommate at the time was his childhood filmmaking partner Andre Bielik, I think is how you say that name and uh, he helped Natalie strip that central idea of people avoiding deadly traps in a maze down to its essence, which I think is obviously, as we said, very much to the movie's benefit. They got rid of all the scenes that took place outside the Cube. The identity of the people inside the Cubes were all changed. In the very first draft, they were all accountants for some reason. What? (laughs) (laughs) He just really hates accountants. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been terrible. uh, Yeah, right? Uh, I guess the idea is that they would have all worked together on the numbers or something, but... (laughs) uh It's, it's bad. That's a. am glad that they made that choice away from there. Um, and then they they were all going to be criminals. And the idea was that it was going to be like part of a like pr- a prison sentence was being banished to the cube. But one of the most important changes, like I said, was that they took out the food and water from the scenario. Because this really creates a really uh, a great sense of urgency. You know, from the minute they wake up, there's a clock running. Mm-hmm. I uh, think that's really effective. And after writing Cube, Natalie filmed his short Elevated as kind of a proof of concept because he was like, all right, I'm going to set this movie in an elevator. And uh, all we're gonna do is just make it look like how Cube is gonna look. Okay. <laughs> that way we can use this to pitch people. But he was using a lot of the same team. He did uh, have cinematographer Derek Rogers on the team with him, and use it like filming in an elevator really helped him develop strategies for shooting in the tightly confined spaces of the sets that would be Cube. Good for you, Derek. Way to uh, apply new skills. Did you see um, that short, by the way? Did you see it? No, I I didn't get a chance to see it, but um, I'm sure that it's fun. I'll, I will. It's it's on my list of ter- like. I just I should watch more shorts. I don't get around to them very often, to be honest. Shorts are cool. I, I like them. In fact, I would even say I love them. But yeah, you know, it's just it's just not usually what comes to mind when I'm like, oh, I should sit here and watch a movie.
1: Yeah, and then you got to go try and find 17 of them to eat up the same amount of time.
0: Right. Like we. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, what was that? Oh, I, th- I thought you were saying something. <laughs>
1: no, I thought you were saying something. And so that's what what I said.
0: Wow. I didn't say
1: anything. What a,
0: what a I was thinking stuff.
1: I'm always thinking, George, always.
0: Hey, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> um, like we said, this is a small movie, small budget, $350,000. They only had seven actors and six of them are main characters. And each one is named after and reflects a prison, much like the one they wake up in. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That mm, is right. <laughs> we have Maurice Dean Wint playing Quentin McNeil. He's named after San Quentin Prison and McNeil Island, both of these known for their brutality, just like Quentin is. We have Nicole De as Joan Levin, who, together with David Hewlett as David Worth, form Leavenworth Prison. You're blowing my mind. Get hey, get ready cause there's more coming. And Leavenworth is not only extremely strict, like math is, it is also corporately built and owned, much like Worth. And you have Andrew Miller as uh, Kazan named. After the Kazan prison in Russia, which imprisoned people with mental disorders. Whoa. Yeah, you have uh, Nikki Guadani. Guadani? Nikki Guadani. Sure. As Dr. Helen Holloway, (laughs) named after the Holloway Women's Prison in the UK, and Wayne Robson as Ren named after the Centre Penitentiaire de Rennes in France, which pioneered a lot of modern prison policy, the way that Rennes teaches them tricks to get around. It's funny because I actually made a little note, not necessarily
1: specific about, I mean, what you did actually is blowing my mind a little bit. But I kind of did the same thing, but compared it to us if there was only four characters in this movie. So I said, was kind of an aptly chosen movie for Film Rage to sort of talk about. The main actor is so full of rage. It's literally (laughs) symbolic of us. There you go. Plus, there's a Saskatchewan conspiracy theorist, which is really Murray. You've got a (laughs) jokester, wisecracking nihilist, which is me. You've got a superior intellect and sexy beast, which is you, George. And then you've got a (laughs) mentally challenged Rain Man, which is Bryce. Thanks for that. So, (laughs) absolutely. It's definitely Judge Wapner. So, yeah. I I think we basically created the cube version of the Breakfast Club Film Rage style.
0: Wow. You look at this and you see a Holloway, a Kazan, a (laughs) (laughs) Levin. But we're all of these things. we are film rage yes indeed also although we don't get to spend a lot of time with him julian richings plays alderson named after alderson federal prison camp in the u.s where isolation is a common punishment just like he is isolated the entire time in this movie
1: yeah his small part in that was actually pretty cool and he's like a canadian icon like we see him in a lot of stuff up here oh really yeah he's he's huge cool. for us and he's actually a pretty big actor really Hi. You think you look at his credits? He's been in a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, like you said, he does have a cool part in this, even though it's not huge. Like, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll get into it, but he has a very fun part in this movie. Interestingly, all of the actors have appeared in the TV series *Forever Night*. So there you go. Also Forever Night? Uh, do you remember that? one? Oh, Murray! I'm sure yeah. Murray used
1: to watch that.
0: Of course, it's TV. <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't i know it <laughs> murray's addicted to and tv it's about
3: vampires that's all i need what it's tv <laughs> and yeah. vampires
0: that's right rolled into one dang <laughs> we found the the pinnacle the movie is heavily math-based and while i have no way to confirm it myself as someone who truly scraped by in high school math <laughs> they did have a math consultant mathematician david w pravika so there you go Every movie needs a math consultant. Here, here. Math's fun. Yeah, just because I'm bad at it doesn't make it not cool.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely Bryce Wapner.
0: They only built one full 14 by 14 foot cube, uh, although since it is a Canadian cube, I will specify that it is 4.3 meters by 4.3 meters. <laughs> the one cube only had one working door that could support the weight of the actor's. And they built like a little partial cube that was made for the shots that required the point of view of like standing in the one room and looking into the other.
1: So Bryce was right. Uh, we we're but- trying to have an argument about how many cubes they actually built. And Bryce said, they probably built, just built one.
0: There you go. He, he is good at math.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they only had a budget of 150000 so they couldn't build much more, I guess.
0: $350,000. Oh,
1: $350,000, yeah. I don't know why yeah. I said one.
0: But the color of the room was changed by like sliding panels that would go in and obviously this takes a long time and i read this and i just felt so bad for the interns on the shoot (laughs) oh totally although they wanted to shoot the movie in chronological order uh they couldn't spend the time doing that it would have sent the shoot way over uh and so they just shot in room color order which i think is interesting that's cool Makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. Uh, And although it was my suspicion the first time I saw this movie, as I'm sure it is for many people, uh, the room color has nothing to do with if there's a trap or not inside the room. Um, But on a metal level, at least two of the colors do kind of function as metaphors um, in that the white rooms discover or represent discovery where they make like advances and figure things out. And red represents death or distress where people freak out and fight. So negative where they feel the rage.
1: Oh, baby. Love red rooms,
0: <laughs> red, um. red, room, red room, red <laughs> room. The, like I said, the budget was 350,000, but it was a box office success, making just under $9 million in theaters with mixed reviews, but who, you know, whatever, who gives a shit about critics and, uh, runs a tight 90 minutes. Exactly. You know, what more can you ask? Yeah. Math. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It has all of these things, and that's delightful. But yeah, it's pretty straightforward, just uh, a nice little sci-fi movie. That's honestly part of what I like about it, is how straightforward it is.
1: Yeah, you didn't have to think too much about it, right? Like, it is kind of like an escapist film. <laughs> Literally, they're escaping rooms, right? <laughs> as, they, as they go Not through this feeling. journey, there's just so much layers to the character that, by the end, you know, obviously, are we okay to spoil the ending? Or do you, are you keeping a surprise? Yeah. So you get, you get to the end, right? And it's kind of like, Kazan's the only person that I really want to live anyway. They should all just die.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, they're all
0: shitty. They're
2: life. all shitty people. They really are.
1: In uh, September, I learned that people are basically all medium shitty. So it's important that <laughs> we all realize that. Yes. I mean, we-, we learned
2: that from a Canadian film too, Yes, Jim. that's
1: right. Canadian films, you can get so much wisdom from, George. It's just not funny. (laughs) Most people are medium shitty. Just remember that.
0: It's burned into my mind. (laughs) Um. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To get into the actual movie, I think that the opening shot is hugely important, and this... Opening shot of, like, an eye dilating and contracting is so disorienting. It really, I think, is a very powerful, evocative moment. I think, it, I think it's just a, a great little opening there. And a man named uh, Alderson, written on his, pr- like, what looks like prison garb, has, he wakes up in this like weird room with square panels all over the walls and floor, along with hatches on each one that lead into a room that looks exactly the same except for different colors. And there's this weird noise that goes off every so often. And he checks it out, and he hesitantly enters one, only to hear this like quick movement. And this dude just slowly falls apart into chunks, having been cubed himself by a cheese wire fence. And this is what I love. It's so it's a great scene. You have great gore in this moment. Some really nice shot composition and stakes established in 3 minutes and 17 seconds. <laughs> How do you beat that?
1: Yeah, but it sets us up for this expectation that we're going to see a lot of sushi in this, a lot
0: of sushi. Well, at least that there will be the possibility of it.
1: Yes. You never know what you're going to get, bits and bites.
0: It is a great moment, too, though, like uh, the sushi moment that you're referring to, where he, like, just falls apart. I-, I think it's so fun. And honestly, I think that it looks pretty good.
2: Yeah. Oh, I thought it looked tremendous. Like, to, yeah. to think that, you know, they're, they're trying to pull off that stuff, that you know, these days and it's not working. Yeah, they did it, you know, back then and they did it well. Was that a practical effect? Did they really turn somebody into sushi? It would have been nice if they could have. (laughs) No, that was CGI. That's
1: pretty amazing for CGI at that time. It really is. I'm trying to think of perspective-wise for that year, 1997. What other CGI films? Can anybody think of one? I don't know about you, George, but CGI is usually one of the things that if we haven't raged for a while... About something specific? It's CGI, a It's kind of our fallback uh, rage is how bad <laughs> CGI can be. Either A, CGI blood, which is one is the worst. Uh. If you can't afford a bowl of warm red colored water, then what, what the <laughs> hell, man?
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's this really nice moment and it fades to white and the title screen is so cool. It slowly embosses. Fades in on the white screen and then boom, there's a nice noise and it changes to black and then fades out. Uh, I think it's uh, just a really fun first couple of minutes. Does a great job of establishing stakes tone. The whole nine yards gang
2: looked so good.
0: When we fade back in a bloody hand emerges in the foreground of a passed out guy in the background. And uh, it turns out this hand is attached to a guy who checks to make sure that the passed out guy is alive. And then when another hatch opens, he ambushes them with a half suplex <laughs> that goes to kick the shit out of them. <laughs> like He like stops and apologizes once he realizes that it's just like a random lady. And they both like skitter over to different corners to look each other over. <laughs> At this point, he could be a good guy. Sure, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> they get interrupted by a call for help. And they go to check one of the hatches and they see this younger woman there. She's uh, like college age and she goes to join them in relief, but the bloody handed guy yells at her to stop before like looking at the room and then getting her to join the rest. And even this little moment, I think is really uh, speaks to how they're setting things up of like, okay, we know that he knows about the traps. We can assume that he got hurt in the room and that's why his hand is bloody, gives you some kind of context about these characters just by their actions. It's really good writing. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually, there's a total of five strangers gathered in the room. This is Quentin, Worth, Holloway, Levin, and Wren. Nobody knows how they got there or where they are or anything. And as we suspected, Quentin informs the group that some rooms contain traps, which he discovered while exploring. Ren, who is a convict who's already escaped seven prisons, assumes each trap is triggered by a motion detector, and he tests each room by throwing one of his boots in first, and he demonstrates this with a boot getting flambéed. <laughs> and it Really, that little flamethrower uh, trap is is fun. It comes out. It's like half a boot left. Yeah. He
1: wasn't going to wear those anymore.
0: <laughs> no, certainly not. And they speculate on how they got there. And one of them suggests aliens. Another says government. I'm curious what you think your first thought would be. It's uh, obviously it's hard to speculate what you would think in this situation. But I think that my first instinct would also be government, not aliens. Yeah.
1: You know what? I think for me, it would be the technology would be the like at the obviously we're looking at 1997 technology. So I would I would probably at that time thought government. If it was like super high tech, I might think alien. Yeah. But then I'd be, I'd be asking myself, why am I in a cube and why am I not being probed right now? That'd be the first thing that would come <laughs> to my mind. It's like, True. I'm kind of a little disappointed I'm in this cube. It must be the government.
2: Yes. I'm not going to get probed in this particular cube. Can I go to an adjacent room where I will get, get probed?
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you, this is, you kind of always assume that. Mur, what about you?
3: Uh, wh- who I thought was, in, was responsible? Yeah. Government all the way.
1: Yeah, except for in Canada, we don't normally have things like that. We would have to be in the American government. <laughs> Canada, we just like, <laughs> we just take you to a hospital. Then everybody gets free Medicare. So
0: <laughs> There you go. Oh, no. I'm laughing because it's the only thing that keeps me from crying. (laughs) (laughs) We just get free MRIs. (laughs) There's no government problems Uh, up here. Stop, stop. We're already dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The maze is also beset by frequent tremors, and Levin notices numbers ascribed into the narrow passageway between the rooms. And they kind of pause for a moment here to debate the water issue, and Ren brings something up that I think is interesting, which he says that the real challenge is just staying focused on what's in front of you and not letting your mind tear itself apart. This is a really interesting perspective, and I think that it probably is accurate in terms of like, realistically, it would you would be weak, but you have a couple days without food or water, as Holloway says, but going crazy in this maze, like... That seems a lot more probable.
1: Yeah. And for you watching this, how, were you? did you see this in 1997? Of course he didn't.
2: No. It came out in 97 originally in Canada, actually. It, it ended up winning like awards oh. and stuff in 99. But
1: You didn't see it till later. I was thinking because back then you would have been younger.
0: I would have been four years old when this movie came out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it would have traumatized you even more. <laughs> Certainly so. No, I saw this a, a, a few years ago and just loved it. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the I think that it's it's really true. Um, you know, we see these guys all these them fall apart and start getting at each other's throats. And uh, Ren was right. Hashtag Ren was right. <laughs> uh, of course, right after he threatens to leave them all behind, he enters a room that he assumes is safe and gets killed when he is sprayed with acid. And his face and gurgling noises are truly horrific. This is oh, yeah. without a doubt the scariest moment in this movie because it is grotesque.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, nobody wants to look that ugly, even in your death.
2: Ugh. <laughs> Just mince Yeah, me.
0: it like melts his skull, collapses in on itself. It's yeah. rough. Three
2: hundred fifty
0: thousand
1: buys a lot of goo. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's true. It's true. I also there's a really great like shot from his POV looking up at three of our would be escapees, just yeah, just lots of like simple things done well. You know, yeah, you don't.
1: It doesn't got to be complicated. It's it's a room, right? Like going from cube to cube. Yeah, they're scary
0: enough as it is. What's
1: on the other side? The door.
0: (laughs) The problem is now, however, that, well, two reasons. One, they've now lost one of their biggest assets in that they had a, like, genuine article escape artist, <laughs> and now they know that each trap uses different sensors to trigger them. It's not all just motion detectors. Yeah. So big moment for the group. But Quentin believes that each person was chosen to be there and is there for a reason. And so we got a little bit more backstory on everyone here. He's a divorced police officer. Levin is a mathematics student in college. Holloway is a clinic doctor. And uh, Worth says that he's just an office worker. But one thing that Quentin notices is that they provided Levin with her glasses, but removed everything else from everyone else. So that really drives home how calculated this is, which I think is a really interesting way to raise the tension and the stakes of being like they've get, they know exactly what's in here. They've prepared for every sort of scenario, and you're just playing out their game.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was Our bracelets are gone, necklaces are gone. Yeah. it's it's supporting the
0: theory though, right? Like but the that glasses they had remain.
1: that the that this is this, they were there for a reason. It really, it really supported that theory.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's really interesting, and this makes them focus on Levin and the numbers that they found because they're using this as like the springboard to hypothesize. And she assumes that any number marked with a prime number is a trap, um, and that's why she's there to be like the math whiz. Seemed reasonable yeah. at the time. Yeah, it worked for a while for them.
2: Yeah.
1: Da-da-da, it's yeah, working. It sure does.
0: <laughs> Science. Huh. It's cool. They press on. They get disoriented about how long they've been at it. And eventually they reach a room where the only one that isn't trapped, according to this guess uh, of like, their hypothesis, is the one on the roof. Which, honestly, if that's the case, that's game over for George. <laughs> 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 All the climbing that they do in this, like, thank God everyone is physically fit because I, there's no way I'm climbing around these rooms on, like, these little monkey bars that they have. I'd put
2: you on my back, George. We'd get out.
0: <laughs> wow. A true friend. Jim, step up your game, man.
1: I wouldn't be running out of food if there's seven of us in there. Just the water I gotta oh. find.
0: Yep. Hey, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, they they open up this door on the top and uh, from the sky drops... A mentally handicapped man named Kazan, who Holloway insists on bringing along. This is, first of all, very empathetic and nice of her. And obviously Kazan deserves to be treated with respect. But also, Quentin is so quick to forget his theory that everyone is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That speaks to sort of uh, his fascistic tendencies, we'll say. He's such
2: a hothead.
0: Rage. Yeah. That's uh, I think putting it mildly. There's a great moment where uh, they're like kind of expect they're passing into the next room. Uh, Holloway drops down and it looks like she's choking, but she just swallowed her button. This is really like the only joke in this movie. But I feel like it's really necessary to have, like, a little bit of levity in here to give us some kind of break. Yeah. Yep, I agree.
1: It's kind of like that thing, the poem as a kid. Button, button, who's got the button? We know where it is yeah. now.
0: Gonna come yeah. over bum. Well, <laughs> spoiler alert, she's not doing much more pooping. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim snorting. <laughs>
2: Uh.
1: <laughs> thank you george
0: <laughs> quentin uh, enters a room deemed safe by levin's calculations but it turns out that it was still trapped and he has to do this sick dodge roll to avoid the cool wire trap but he does still hurt his leg and quentin suspects that worth knows more than he's letting on Mm -hmm. And he confronts Worth and they start to argue over will to live versus uh, conceded to the point of playing hero, which is a interesting and B seems honest for Quentin in that it is very much about him being in charge and uh, and and having that sort of power over people. Quentin turns up the pressure, though, and eventually Worth reveals bum 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 that he designed the maze's outer shell in the shape of a gigantic cube that's right listeners dear listeners that's right worth was involved all along yes he did this for a shadowy bureaucracy (laughs) is how it was described so uh i think i think it's funny also that in this moment that Holloway is clearly supposed to come off as this, like, paranoid person cracking under the pressure when she starts talking about everyone being complicit in raising up the machine uh, comprised of the upper crust and their jackbooted thugs like Quentin himself. And, like, she's not at all. I was like, Holloway is an entirely sympathetic character who is right about so much in it.
1: Yeah, agreed. That's a good point, right? There, as you're going through this, there's so many layers to the characters, too, that just keep on rolling and unfolding as the as the continues to roll forward through the rooms.
0: Yeah. Um, and we get some more of Worth here as well, where he we see how nihilistic he is and that he's like, it's not a conspiracy. People aren't watching. It's just fuck ups all the way up. And in fact, Worth speculates that the original purpose of this cube <laughs> has been forgotten And they've been imprisoned in the maze just to put it to use. Otherwise, it would just be pointless. I mean, wow. To me, this is, first of all, a very interesting criticism of the military-industrial complex that they mention, but also uh, specifically about the militarization of our policing, which has only gotten worse, especially here in the U.S. You know, you see police officers rolling up to these protests with riot gear and and tanks and stuff and they're looking for an excuse to use these if they don't have it then what's the point and uh, and so that's a lot of what i think worth is talking about here and uh, as we've seen from the racial justice protests this year it is uh, a very honest and uh, truthful look i think at um government fascists
1: (laughs) yeah for sure
0: and and yet you know you still at
1: this point i mean if they're talking about the fact that they don't know yet whether or not there is still a purpose for it there's obviously some intelligent design to it because you know, what's the per- Is it somebody's sick game, like in Saw, or is it like by them choosing these type of people? Is are they are they beamed up, Scotty, to this to be able to be? You know, <laughs> there's all that, all those questions still continue to go forward because you still don't have any answers.
0: Yeah, you you have just the barest shape of a, a theory. Maybe it's a really interesting reveal, and I I like this scene a lot, and I think that um, Worth does a really good job with it. Agreed. True to policing form. Since he doesn't like what he heard, Quentin starts beating the crap out of Worth.
2: Oh, (laughs) mercilessly!
0: Yeah. He has to get stopped by the others because he is, it looks like he's going to kill him. Yep. Uh, Worth's knowledge of the outer shell. But basically it all boils down to they stop him because uh, Worth's knowledge of the outer shell is useful to them. And having the dimensions allows Levin to determine that each side of the cube is 26 rooms across, and that means that there are 17,576 rooms in total. <laughs> Which, holy crap. Imagine getting hit with that number while you're trying to escape this thing. Good Lord.
1: Ugh. And we don't know at this point how many rooms they've been through. They, we just know that they don't have very many shoes left.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're, they are disoriented about how long they've been doing it as well, and I'm sure that they haven't been like, okay, that was room number 10. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not happening.
2: No one's um, keeping a tally.
1: It might have started having to throw right. it bundled up clothes, which might not have been so terrible. <laughs>
2: I think there was enough heat in the in, the, in <laughs> yeah. there. No one would. We weren't seeing any steam coming out of the breath. Why? Why couldn't they get naked?
0: Yeah. At one point, they say that they're like excessively warm. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It
1: was maybe coming in cube there six because isn't there three cubes?
2: I don't know. They kept on. Making uh, them no.
0: Uh, this is there. Cube 2, Hypercube, and the other one don't exist. There's only this cube.
2: Oh, good. What, isn't cube 0 connected to the cube 1 and 2?
0: No, it doesn't exist. <laughs>
2: okay. Oh, you're just, I gotcha.
1: Maybe the 30th anniversary edition will get the edited, more dirtier, hotter, sweatier cube, where they run out of shoes <laughs> and keep going. That's, there's hope. There's hope. There you go.
0: Levin guesses that the numbers actually indicate Cartesian coordinates of each room and not whether they're trapped. Um, And the group moved toward the nearest edge as determined by her theory, but each of the rooms near the outer wall is trapped. And so... Rather than backtrack, they decide that they're gonna go uh, quietly through this room with a sound-activated trap, which is very cool. I like the way that they demonstrate it with Kazan like shouting into it, and uh, you see it trigger a few times. That's I think that that's a really effective way to like demonstrate the trap and be like, "Look, we had a fun idea without actually having to worry about the effects of killing someone." Yeah, but they're all they all make it through. But uh Kazan is the second to last one, and Quentin is the last one and as Kazan is like looking back in as Quentin almost gets out, he makes like a little happy noise and that noise triggers the trap and almost kills Quentin yeah yes um, and it's a really intense moment. Quentin threatens to kill Kazan and this is really where you see it kind of go over the edge for him where, Holloway defends Kazan and appropriately calls Quentin a Nazi after he leans hard on some eugenics talk. Mm-hmm. Um, he like freaks out about you bleeding hearts and snowflakes and birdie Bros, really ahead of its time.
2: <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly. Um,
0: and Holloway insinuates that Quentin may have been an abusive husband, and that he likes younger girls. And he he slaps the crap out of her. And I mean, first of all, this proves her her point basically. <laughs> and he later confirms it even more when he's like, "She was a spy. Like she knew too much about uh, <laughs> about my life." And so clearly, she hit the nail on the head. And I think that this might be an appropriate time to state that, did you know that according to the National Center for Women and Policing, over 40% of police families experience some form of domestic abuse? And that's just the reported cases.
1: Hmm. Mm. So too much of that. Imagine if the numbers are growing with COVID too.
0: It's really bad. And the police brutality rates are out of control. And so is their brutality on their own families. So, uh, boo to the cops, in my opinion. (laughs) And uh, when they reach the edge, Holloway scouts the darkened gap between the cube and its outer shell. And uh, there's another violent tremor and Quentin manages to save her as she starts to slip, but then lets her fall to her death. And Quentin is just like he—he's totally lost it at this point. He talks about how they're spies and how Holloway knew too much, and how everyone is trying to like trying to kill him and and make it so that he can't leave. And this is what Ren was talking about, and this is almost scarier than the traps—is being stuck in this room. With this guy who is so unhinged and you can't focus on any of the external threat because your your group is threatened to be uh, devoured from within.
1: It's now turned from a mindfuck to a slasher movie.
0: Yeah, it sure has. He tries to get Levin to leave the others with him and he like makes these weird sexual advances uh, on her. Again, proving uh, Holloway's points about him liking younger women. But she calls him a pig, uh, which works in more than one way and is true in more than one way. (laughs) So good for you. Honestly, there had been like a little bit of flirting back and forth between them. And I love that it doesn't go the way that I expected it to go the first way where I was like, oh, she's going to go with him and it's going to be this like weird dynamic no, she understands that he sucks and uh and I love it. I think that it makes Levin an even more interesting character
1: yeah, I think she should have got out with Kazan now you've changed my mind <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey I, I I agree but uh worth intervenes on him like getting angry at her for uh, uh, when she calls him a pig but Quentin like beats him just absolutely savagely. And drops him into another room through a floor hatch to, tr- to test out if there's a trap in there. <laughs> really just brutal on Quentin's part. There in that room, he, he just starts laughing from the bottom and they, they follow in after him. And I love, love, love this reveal where they find Ren's corpse. And they re- they start thinking that they've just been wandering in circles this entire time. What a just heartbreaking realization to have. <laughs> oh, there's, there's at that, that
2: point, it's like, what? what? There's, there's no way out.
0: Yeah. We're, we're back where we started. Yeah. There's no way out. <laughs> there's no hope. No hope at all. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what they think. And they've all got, like, crusty, dry lips, and they're losing their minds and bleeding, and it's just a really bad spot to be in. (laughs) Worth, however, realizes that the rooms are moving periodically throughout the cube, and not the other way around. They haven't been going in circles. It's that the the rooms are moving, and that's what's causing all of the tremors. This is also the room. A lot of discovery happening in this white room, because this is... Also, when Levin deduces that the traps are not tagged by prime numbers, but in fact by powers of prime numbers, and this is where Kazan reveals himself to be a savant who can quickly do prime factorization mentally. Out of nowhere, Kazan MVP. Yeah, th- th-
1: this this part actually, it was kind of, it's it's almost fitting that after Quentin gets rid of Holloway, where her theory is, everybody's important!
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and- Kazan, he helps Levin guide the group towards the bridge room that will lead them out of the maze. But on the way, Worth ambushes the uh, increasingly volatile Quentin and drops him in a room where he slams his head and blood pools out. Honestly, this looks incredible contrasted against the blue where he's lying there. Mm. But it's one of the things that we
1: learn in a later film. Always do a double tap.
0: (laughs) You're not wrong at all.
1: Don't trust... A drop from a four point three meter fall. Always do double tap.
0: Huh. Yeah, you got. it. Uh, but then that would have meant sending someone down after him, and I yeah. uh, couldn't take that risk.
1: Did they run out of boots at this uh, point? Because they could have stomped on him. At least yeah. if there was one boot left,
0: they did. They uh, he throws one over the edge when uh, when they get there, and and Worth gets all pissed off about it. <laughs> 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 but they're they're close. But Kazan gets separated. And Worth has to go after him, even though they were in a room that goes to the bridge room. And Levin is in that previous room, which goes to the bridge room. And she finds a piece of her broken glasses and realizes that it was the room they started in, which has like, ah, delicious, delicious irony. I don't yeah, know, what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. They finally arrive. They get back into the the room with levin and they arrive at the bridge room and kazan opal opens the final hatch revealing a bright white light and worth declines to leave he, he says that he has no reason to live he feels responsible for his part in building this and that there's nothing for him out there i mean there there is this interesting question of how complicit is worth in their situation you know it, it, he helped build it, but he doesn't know, but is being unaware, does that, you know, make it so that you're not really at fault? I don't know. I don't know. Like,
1: yeah, it's in a way you know what, you pose a good point. It's it's like, is the individual person or event that's part of the collective, truly everybody within that sort of at fault? I think it's interesting that you the film makes earlier reference to Nazis because- in this point, with your question, specifically, you think about, okay, so was every person that was in the German army at this point at fault for what was happening at that time? It it, it brings a bigger question to not just this movie, but in general, questioning your own worth, mm-hmm. questioning your company that you work for, is your company ethical? You know, it, 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 it could make you, if you watch this, smoking weed, you would have gone right to the place you don't want to go, buddy.
0: Well... I have news for you because I did watch it while smoking weed. (laughs) And what I landed on is that it does raise that question about, about like even you can extrapolate it out to Nazis and stuff. But I think that it lands on the answer being, yes, they are complicit. And the answer is that this, is supposed to shock you out of being complicit. It's saying stand up, like know what you're doing, understand how things work, and look at the bigger picture and how you fit in as a cog in this machine.
1: Yeah, Oppenheimer, right up until their death, was not happy about mm-hmm. what happened with that that bomb.
0: Right. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great kind of thesis. That it it presents at the end, I think. Levin, conv- le- she tries to convince Worth to leave. Stop now if you're planning on watching this and haven't seen it yet, because holy shit, huge shock, Quentin is revealed via stabbing and killing her to have survived. Yeah, it's like, you know there's a jump scare coming. Yeah, and uh, it's a good one. And uh, he stabs her with this hatch lever, and he's just absolutely coated in blood And uh, he also manages to get in a fatal injury on Worth while Kazan flees for this little hatch. Yep. And as Quentin moves to kill Kazan, Worth gets some Worth out of of it all, after all. (laughs) (laughs) He grabs Quentin's leg and he pins him in the narrow passageway as the rooms shift again and it kills Quentin, and this is such a great reveal to just see it like completely zoomed out and just see the smeared blood on the
2: wall. Yeah, the blood smear. It was so satisfying.
1: Yeah, it was so satisfying. I'm sitting there going, the first thing that went through my mind is, I sure hope that when this door closes, someone gets caught in it, and there it was. It was like an early Christmas
2: present. Yes, and the person that you wanted to get caught in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They saved the most gruesome one, for the most gruesome human. So I would have been okay
1: if he became sushi, too. That would have been not so bad. His little eye blink.
0: Yeah, the acid was really pretty grotesque as well. And uh, I don't know what that guy did to deserve that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Or, uh, as we talked earlier, perhaps Godzilla would have came and got him.
0: Oh, that's the best way to go out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Talk about your surprise endings.
0: Yeah, it's like, what? Godzilla? Where did he come from? (laughs) (laughs) It was all Godzilla's plan all along. All (laughs) along. But Worth managed to get this last little uh, bit of heroism in there and- he crawls back to levin's corpse to die next to her finally he has a friend someone to die next to and uh, kazan slowly wanders into the bright light quite a pickle since he won't be able to communicate what happened to anyone even if he makes it out of the facility or whatever this was built in it's like super bleak it's (laughs) like it never happened Yeah, it really is like that. And uh, it's a great ending. It's simple. It's to the point. And now, gentlemen, we've uh, reached the point where, at the very least, I will say why this is the best horror movie ever made. You are certainly uh, welcome to join in and uh, and present an argument. But uh, I'll start it off this time. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it, like I said, is a simple idea executed at its peak. It is Saw plus Cabin in the Woods plus even more mystery. You get all of these great characters who are each shades of unlikable and realistic and it's ahead of its time. Uh, it's It's just so stripped down that all that's left is the good stuff. All of the fat that brings down other movies is removed from cube and um the fact that the performances are they're exactly what you need for this movie and it's it's a great sci-fi idea to me that combined with the great effects and the great shocking moments in it make it the best horror movie ever made
2: well said very well said more isn't necessarily better what do you think brace yeah ditto <laughs> <laughs> Murray, you uh, got something to add? It was just it was a simple story. Uh as as you mentioned, the, the uh special effects were way ahead of its time really. Like you go back to nineteen the late nineties and movies that were that were doing stuff like that didn't look that good. It looked so good. And for it to be a Canadian feature it gives me a little pride that we were a little bit of ahead of our time at you know, at that point.
1: We can be scary people at times.
2: Yeah. Really true. scary. <laughs>
1: Murr, what do you got? Why, why do you love this movie? I
3: saw it about two weeks ago for the first time. So, uh, yeah, it was good. It was entertaining. Uh, right off the start, I mean, the guy from the Red Green show gets liquidated. So that was, I thought it was a comedy, to be honest. Because I, I mean, I'm used to watching him be a goofball. I'm like, is he actually serious in this? This is a serious role? Like, do, yeah, do you guys got was. the Red Green show down there?
0: No, I've never even heard of it. Never. Go find it. it on YouTube. yeah. yeah.
3: You'll know uh, what Murray's talking about. Basically, the catch line from the series is duct tape is a handyman's secret weapon. He uses duct tape for everything. <laughs> there you go. Kind of what is, happened in this movie, yeah, probably. This guy's a Canadian actor. and
0: Yeah, he could have used some duct tape. After, after
3: he did this, uh, he did the Red Grand. I don't know, 10, 12 seasons. I don't know how many seasons it went. But, yeah, he was just some goofball 100? guy who showed up on the show. But I hadn't seen him in anything else. I didn't realize he was a serious actor, too, but... Yeah, and then he got liquidated <laughs> in the first t- 10 minutes, but... Uh, it's delicious! Yeah, it it was good. It, it drew some parallels to other shows I've seen on TV, you know, Canadian cast. Yeah, it was
1: enjoyable. But then we got hey, to hey, force hey, him to watch. I'll take it.
2: Yeah. Oh, just as a little aside, by the <laughs> way, uh, you've, you're in good company, George, because my, my late father, this was his favorite horror movie. He came home from seeing this. He saw it at a, a little independent movie house in the, in like 98. And he came home and he says, oh, you got to see The Cube. And I'm like, what? Don't you mean he said you got to see Cube? <laughs> well, he probably said that because he got everything wrong. Um, but I was like, what are you talking about? I think that's a horror movie, isn't he? He's like, yeah, but it's so good. And I was like, really? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll go wow. see it. So. Very next night, I went and saw it, and we came back, and uh, we talked about Cube, and it's one of the many many uh, nice memories I have with me and me and, me and my dear old dad. But this making but me- George, he, al- he
0: also loved Cube. Wow, hell yeah! I think I think it is a pretty accessible movie for people who aren't super into horror. Like like Murray said, you know, he had a he had to find enough time watching it. I think that there's not so much guts and gore that people who are like not into that stuff would uh you know be unable to make it through so i do think that this is a very accessible movie yeah I, absolutely
1: I think it holds up like there's some cgi we know or and even not even cgi practical effects whatever i think this still holds up to today you could this could be released again and people would go it's not terrible right and you think yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. some of the films that came after this that that influenced it. i talked a little bit earlier like saw this could easily have been what spawned The guy's from Saw to make Saw, right? Like, it's kind of cool, the evolution of horror, and we find influences from different places. So for me, the reason why this is the best movie that George should have picked for his favorite Canadian horror film, other than David Cronenberg, is because this budget in the U.S., based on today's U.S. dollar rate, throwing math in, would be $263,700.50 USD. So... It's a budget.
0: It's it's cool, and this is 1997. Yeah. Also, I did forget to mention. uh, I said I was gonna. I literally off air was like, "Oh, I'm gonna tell you this story," and then completely forgot. One of the other reasons why I picked this movie is that all the time I'm like, "Look, people like what they like. You know, you can't get mad at people for liking something that you don't like, or even for not liking something that you did like, because people's tastes are different." But the most genuine moment of anger that i have ever had at one of my best friends named jerry who was a previous guest on this show is when he said to me that cube is fucking stupid what (laughs) and and he's stupid i i look i agree jerry fuck you (laughs) (laughs) in my core i felt rage how could you think that this is stupid and he he just hated it he hated everything about it and so really this whole episode serves as a statue of a middle finger to my good friend jerry so there you go
2: and <laughs> it here, comes here. we're all throwing up our middle finger, finger at jerry yeah. right now
3: screw you jerry
2: <laughs> we're looking
1: down on him from up high in canada the north <laughs> and it's almost come full circle though george Jerry gets the finger. You caused you to have rage because of his rage. And then when you thought about doing this movie, you thought, what better way than to engage the true kings of rage? And that is us, Film Rage.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And great segue, Jim. Why don't you tell the people where they could find Film Rage? Well, you can find us everywhere.
1: We're hidden in every corner. We could be in your room right now. (laughs) But on social media, you can find us at FilmRageYYC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us at our website, which we really want people to go because we keep adding super awesome content. In fact, this could take over IMDb at one point. It is filmrageyyc.com. And comment often because you know what? Like you said, we like it when people like us but we like it even more when we make them rage.
0: (laughs) Great. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. The website is also LittleHorrorPHL. And uh, you can also find us on Patreon at LittleHorrorPHL. And uh, you can get all kinds of good stuff there, including bonus and ad-free and early episodes. And we're also doing fun not just bonus episodes, but bonus content like riff tracks and stuff. We're thinking about getting some kind of uh, debate show going and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So you're not going to want to miss it. And there are three tiers. So, uh, you know, you can subscribe at uh, various levels and uh, support the show. I have fun making it uh, and I hope you have fun listening to it. And if you're having fun listening to it, review us on iTunes. And that's pretty much it. Thanks. Oh, and also uh, support scares that care uh the charity care dot org right right check out the website there they're a great charity and um they really they could use the help because they they benefit a lot of people who need it um so most importantly though
1: george you've got to mention that you are the crowning glory
0: of all the horror 2020. Your Halloween. Yes, this uh this is our, our Halloween release for all the horror. I'm also on several episodes of other people's shows. So I really am uh, I'm digging in. I I made my made my way into the roots of all that horror. You're going to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surprise it's exactly. George. Exactly. And uh, hey, if you enjoyed listening to me chat with film rage you could go back you could listen to our episode about let the right one in and also i have been on their show previously and will be on their show again recently so listen to me on film rage and have a nice time with the boys okay that's it bye rage
3: on